Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. We'll take on a new horse training or horse care topic in every episode. Thanks for listening and enjoy the ride. Julie, thanks for doing another podcast. I have a question for you today from Suprena, and this is a question I think that a lot of people have on how to get their horse desensitized to sounds and anything that they might encounter on the trail. She asks, what advice do you have to prepare for motor sounds and even honking sounds that my horse hears while we're riding alongside the road? What can I do to get him accustomed to traffic? Uh, Of course, that's an issue for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And urban trail riding is probably bigger these days than wilderness trail riding. And when I when I visit my friends uh, in Southern California and go riding with them, I'm amazed at the things those horses have to be desensitized to, leaf blowers mm-hmm. and mean dogs charging the fence and uh, bicyclists, all kinds of crazy things that, in a, in a way, is much harder to desensitize a horse for than um, riding out in the wilderness is. However, horses are the most sensitive domesticated animal. But fortunately, they are the most easily desensitized. Okay. The sensitivity is a problem because of the flight response because that's of course, defines everything that the horse does as flight. And um, so it's not really so much that the horse notices something, it's how they react to it. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. But horses, are very easily desensitized and should become desensitized rapidly when exposed to scary stimuli uh, as long as the exposure is handled correctly. Um, so I guess the, you know a lot of people ask how do I desensitize my horse to traffic. Um, depending on how you ride, where you ride, uh, if you're riding alongside a road, um, there could be anything from the occasional car to big heavy machinery coming by mm-hmm, um, to motorbikes. <laughs> I did a clinic in uh, Norco, California recently, and there, uh, which is Horse Town, USA. It's the most horse-friendly town I've ever seen. But they have their sidewalks are dirt, um, but they're next to a uh, you know four-lane. Uh, thoroughfare that's bumper to bumper traffic uh, almost all the time, um, but those horses, of course, are used to it. And um, so sometimes there's nothing you can do except put the horse in the actual environment where all the stimuli is coming from. So, mm-hmm. in other words, you might, if you had the luxury of having people to help you in a farm to work on and equipment stuff, you could actually start with just having somebody be in, in your truck driving down the driveway. Um, and you could start with just holding your horse from the ground and where you can pet him and reassure him. He's going to be a lot braver when you're on the ground than he would ever okay. be with you on his back. And drive by with the truck or the equipment and get closer and faster and louder and honk the horn and keep petting the horse and reassuring the horse. Um, Of course, a lot of people don't have the option of being set up that kind of scenario for training. And so then your really only only option is to put them in the actual real environment where all the stimulus is. 
I would start on the ground or with a very steady and reliable pony horse. Um, and then not only do you need a steady and reliable pony horse, but the rider has to be competent enough to control two horses at one time, uh, the horse you're riding and the horse you're holding. Um, so if you don't have that scenario, just, just being with the horse on the ground with a rope halter and a training lead. And I would try to keep the horse as far away from the actual vehicles as I could and just let him stop and look at, face the oncoming traffic. So if, let's say my scenario is I, don't, I can't set up anything at home. I can't control the exposure to the stimuli. So instead, I will um, have to bring him into the real environment. Um, I would want to be as far away as I could. So I'd, if, if it was uh, beside a road, I'd want to be, you know, it's, as much distance between me and the vehicles as I could, and just stand there and hold the horse, face him, pet on him, reassure him as these vehicles come by, let him know there's nothing to be afraid of. If there was grass going along the side of the road, I would let him eat the grass um, because if, if he can be calm Relax and quiet enough, enough uh -huh. to eat while they're going by, then you're really desensitizing him. Then I would start, you know, kind of walking him up and down. But let's say, you know, it was a situation where big trucks came by, and that's what I was trying to desensitize him to. Well, whenever I saw one coming, I'd stop and let him turn and face it so he can watch it coming. I might try to be between that thing and him so that he's a little more courageous. If I was on the pony horse, I'd position my horse between him and the, and the scary thing, um, so he could be more courageous and so he could watch the reactions of the other horse and just keep exposing in that way. When the horse is comfortable with you on the ground, then you've got to come back and start the whole thing over with you in the saddle. At some point, you know, the next step is going to be that he's going to have to face the stuff coming up from behind him. Mm -hmm. But after he's been allowed to watch it approaching it, a number of times, it'll be a little easier for him to tolerate with it coming up behind him. You know, the main thing that I think she needs to do, besides just kind of doing this progression from the ground to in the saddle, when I went to the saddle, I'd really want another horse with me, a horse that could show that horse how to act. Uh, when you're on the ground, the horse can take his cues from you and your posture and your breathing. But when you're up on the saddle, he loses that um, input from you. Also, you become more nervous and he feels that. So if you have another horse to accompany you, one that's used to all that crazy stuff, that'll really help a lot too. But just taking it small, slow, easy exposures and make sure that you're giving the right signal to the horse, which is taking a deep breath, saying it's okay, stroking him on the neck. Um, but it, a lot of times what happens is People, maybe the horse has acted, uh, reacted negatively before, and so right. you see that big truck coming and you go, oh, God, you're here. Right. Yeah, and the horse takes his cues from that. So the rider or the person on the ground needs to be extra careful about every time you feel that horse tense or you see a tensing situation coming, take a deep breath in and out. Lower your shoulders, relax your muscles, 
stroke the horse, say it's okay. Um, if I were riding and at that moment that that truck was approaching, I got worried about my horse's reaction and I grabbed the reins. Right. That grouting the reins would be enough to set the horse over the edge because he'd go, oh, my God, I knew it was going to hurt. There is something, yeah. And um, so um, I think, too, in addition to just exposing the horse slowly and desensitize him slowly, you have to really monitor your own reactions and make sure they're very calm and soothing and reassuring to the horse. Julie, if you had your choice, would you go to setting up that experience at home first? Would that be the the number one option if you can create that? Oh, absolutely. Anytime you can control the exposure of the scary stuff, then you can really take it small and slow. If if you, uh, it, it's always better to be in control of that. It's just not always possible for people. So sure. because if you could control it, then you could keep the horse as far away from it as possible and then get closer and closer and closer. You could start with the vehicle going very slow and then you could gradually add speed. Um, Then you could add honking, you know. So that's always a better approach. It's just not always possible. And and even still, um, you know, all the desensitizing in the world doesn't necessarily help you when something surprises the horse. You know, you can wave a plastic bag in a horse's face all day in the barnyard when you're practicing desensitizing, but if he's out five miles out on the trail and out of the blue a bag flies up in his face and he wasn't expecting it, he's going to react to it. So you can't, um, sometimes it's the surprise that causes the reaction and not necessarily the, um, you know, whatever the scary thing was. But that's the point where you really need to control your own reactions to that and make sure you're really calm and it's the horse and not yourself to take a deep breath anytime the horse tenses. But also she mentioned sounds and honking. Um, Some horses are particularly sensitive to sounds. Um, some horses are much more reactive to sound stimuli than any other stimuli. And um, so that's tough if somebody comes up behind you and uh, you know, if that big machinery is coming and the horse is used to the sound and the feel of the vibrations and all that, but then all of a sudden they go, bob, you know, honk, horn. the sound might be enough to set them over the edge. And... Um, it's very difficult to desensitize horses to surprising sounds. You can desensitize them again to uh, to sounds. You can actually buy audio CDs for the purpose of desensitizing horses to sound, and it has honking sounds and gunfire and uh-huh. um, vehicle sounds and leaf blowers and um, for horses that are over overly reactive to sound, and the theory being, you put you know put a CD player outside their stall and you just <laughs> play these CDs, and um, that would probably help. That isn't going to necessarily eliminate the surprise factor. And, surprise factor. Yeah, but it would certainly help. Get, you know, it, a lot of horses, most horses wouldn't tolerate gunshot unless they had been desensitized to it. But a lot of horses are desensitized to it, obviously. 
Well, look at police forces, and I know they have some police force clinics sometimes that actually do present all of these scary things and traffic sounds for horses. So that might be something mm-hmm. to to see if there's something like that around in their area too when they're if they open those up to the public. Yeah. The other thing you mentioned, Julie, was ponying a horse. So when would you choose to do that? And and I guess the question I had was you were talking about that is how can you stop and praise and reassure the horse if you're on another horse? Riding two horses at once is not easy and requires a considerable amount of skill. So your pony horse has to be um, very easily controlled riding one-handed. Uh, you're, you have to be able to manage the other horse in your other hand. Um, most of the, you know, well, the standard ways, you, your rein hand is your left hand, your lead hand with the horse you're ponying is your right hand. Um, you're going to have to keep that horse very close to your knee um, where he's controllable. You're not going to let this horse get way out on a line. So that horse is close to you and next to you. You've got his head right next to his knee. You can, you can, you can reach out. You can pull his nose right to your knee where you can reach to the other side of his neck and stroke mm-hmm. him and just touch him. Um, he's going to be taking more cues from the horse you're riding than he is from you. But your and that's voice, the point of it. Is that mm-hmm. why you're doing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, your voice is, is a huge factor. If you're going, whoa, 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 <laughs> um, that's not going to instill a lot of reassurance in the horse. It's like, settle down. It's all right. Easy, easy. You know, that's the thing. And he stands there and watches it go by calmly. You, you lavish copious praise on him. You know, what a good horse you are. You are so brave. What a good horse you are. And they, they, that's important to a horse. Oh, that's what that. Oh, and look at what nice things happen to me when I act that way. And then if someone isn't that comfortable with ponying or they've already done that first, then you would go on to riding with a buddy out on the trail too. Yeah, you could do the, the same thing. Um, you could accomplish the same thing with a pony horse as you can just riding with a friend on a, okay. on a reliable, calm horse. And position your horse right up close, even, just even as if you were ponying. Uh, so, you know, the closer you are, I would, I would want my, I would, if I were riding the uh, scared horse, I would want my horse to be in the same position it would be in as if it were being ponied, which is right up okay. next to the rider's right knee and very close, even touching the horse next to him. And, of course, just making sure that the horse, that the other horse knows or that it is really well trained. You're not just taking yeah. any friend, but a horse that definitely is going to be calm and well, have that impact well over trained, your horse. Um, then he knows he's, he, he can't react to that other horse. So, but you be real smart about your body position, too, and um, start out with that horse between the scary thing and, and you, so there's that barrier there, and then work up to you being on the other side of the horse, where the, the horse, the, scare, the side the scary thing's on, and um, yeah, follow behind, get close, stop and turn around and face when you hear, you know, something loud coming, mm-hmm. rattly stuff, whatever, it's just Stopping and turn around facing is fine because anytime we program 
you know, when I when my horse is getting tense and prepared for flight, I want him to think about stopping first and foremost. So uh, when you pick up on the reins just normally and say, whoa, and the horse stops. So now if every time he starts tensing in a way where he's going to boil over and, and, you know, become a blubbering idiot, if, if the next thing that happens is he stops, then he starts thinking every time he gets tense, instead of thinking flight, he starts thinking about stopping. And then the petting and the reassuring and taking a deep breath occurs. That makes sense. And, it, you know, a lot of this on the road, it's sounds that are coming up from behind. So the more they can see what's going on or, or actually just have a little more confidence to know what is approaching them, that makes sense too. Absolutely. Good. Well, I think that helps. And that, that definitely is a scary thing. And, you know, a lot of trails, even if you get out into the country, first you have to cross the street or you, you know, are parked wherever you're starting at the trailhead is, is near an area where people maybe aren't used to horses. So I think this is a, a really good thing to make sure your horse knows before you do head out on the trail. She's got a lot of work to do. <laughs> yes. All right. Thanks, Julie. I'm Heidi Malacco. I am here today with Desiree Johnson, the owner and designer of Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. And Desiree, you have a pretty interesting story being a rider of why you wanted to create the perfect jeans for people to ride in and why there was such a need for something that felt good in the saddle. Tell me a little bit about how you got started. Well, hello, Heidi. Thank you for calling. Yes, I do. Um, this all started uh, a few years before we bought the company. Um, I was uh, very lucky to have been able to have my own stable. Um, right. I had three stalls and I uh, had a few event horses in training and my own ring and I was teaching and because I'm an event rider, okay. doing a lot, of, uh, a lot of setting up jumps and grooming the ring and, you know, the PP and D, the poop pick up and drag and uh, all, all the manual labor that goes along with the uh, four acres of mowing and uh, gardening and all of that, being a wife and the shopping. And, and I was in my tack room one day, and uh, the br- I was taking my breeches and boots off yet once again. Right. And I thought to myself, uh, there's got to be a jean out there. I need some blue jeans that I can also ride in. Right. Because I do so much teaching. I jump up on a horse for 10 minutes, then I jump down, and I have to set up jumps. And, the, the, you know, the britches just get, get thrashed. They're too nice to work in. I mean, re- to really, really work in. So I went to my local ranching home. Now, remember, I'm an English rider. So I went right. to a, a store, specialty in Western, 20 different styles of Western blue jeans. And I asked the lady, I told her, I said, I want your top-of-the-line Western riding jean. I'm not going to say the name of it because I don't want to smash anything. Sure, sure. But she took me to the top-of-the-line. And I looked at them, and I looked at the seat area, and I saw that lump, your best riding jeans. She said, yes. And I said, well, these aren't riding jeans. And she looked at me, she kind of blinked, and I said, there's this lump in the crotch seat area, and that's the whole reason why I'm here is because I can't ride in country western dancing jeans. I need a riding jean. And she said, well, this this is it. And so I... You know, I went home and I told Eric, I said, you know what, I'm going to start my own business. It's going to be called Designs by Desiree. And I told him my story. And what I did is I went online 
And at that time, I didn't find anything like what it was that I wanted, but I did find a pattern, a bookerish pattern. So I ended up, to make a, a long story short, I made three pairs of these little sweatpants. Were, you know, one seamless inside, right. came up the front and the back, and they were basically little sweatpants with little knee pads. And I wore those little jeans. I, wore, I made a corduroy pair of winter and a lightweight jean material for summer. I wore them out. <laughs> Two years or so, wore them holes, holes. And what I loved about them is they were short, you know, right up to the ankle. I could stick them in my English boots. And then I would take my boots off. And I could work in these little jeans, pants, all day long. And I could go grocery shopping and I could get down in the dirt and garden and do the mowing and move my jumps. So finally they, they wore out, and it was around Thanksgiving time, and uh, I said to Eric, I said, there's got to be somebody who has thought of this idea. I can't be the only one. So I sat down with Mimosa at the holiday time, and I found Smooth Stride Riding Jean Company. And the mission statement and the explanation was exactly what I was looking for. And they were interested in selling the company, and Eric and I had a powwow, and we said, let's do it. And... This thing that we were, we didn't know anything about the manufacturing clothing business, nothing. I know it was really the learning curve was incredible. The inventory that we bought that we thought we were going to be able to buy was all messed up. It wasn't graded Mm. properly and didn't fit anybody. So we basically started from scratch. I redesigned this incredible already existing jean that had the seamless inside and was a boot cut. And I made it. I'm, I recreated the whole, uh, basically the waist, contoured waistband. The grading is correct. The rise is correct for riders, for mature riders, not teenagers with, you know, that weigh 115 pounds. Mm-hmm. They're designed for women who have either had kids or not, but have lived with their bodies and, you know, for, for mature women. Have the curves that they are supposed to have once they have reached adulthood. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Now, tell me, what do you mean by the grade? Is that the way that the shape changes up around your waist? Well, for instance, when we got the inventory, I had these tiny little rises and huge legs. So the legs didn't match. So the lower part didn't match the upper part. So if you have a size 10 jean, it is graded size 10 the whole length of the jean. And that's... uh, it's a, there's a science to it. And okay. so our genes are, you know, we hired, literally hired a specialist to grade the patterns correctly. Okay. So, yeah, there's a lot of math. And you've learned lots of terminology about this. And, and so the big thing about these that makes them for riding, what would you say are your, your top features that make them for riders, not just for wearing on the street? But you could do both. Yes, you could. The main thing is that cross-lump in the seat area has been removed. Literally, they're, they're just like uh, how they build English riding breeches, only uh, they're Western boot cut. Second thing would be the rise in the back. It's hard to find a blue jean out there that calls itself a riding jean that has a, a correct um, rise. The contoured waistband, so it's just not a straight piece. It's also curved to shape fit women's curves. And the stretch, it's a perfect amount of stretch. We have a special process that they don't bag out, so we've eliminated the bag out problem. So this jean that you buy will be the same 
size within eight hours or two days or three days. They don't, you just don't put them in the washing machine and they snap back and then bag out again. So if they don't fit, that probably means that you've gained a little weight. <laughs> and, and I'm imagining what this means when you're actually on a day-long trail rider. Like with you with endurance riding, I grew up riding Western. We always rode in jeans. And I remember on longer days, like the inside of your leg would be a little chaff. But that's just what you had. And I think it, it's interesting to hear you say with that English or endurance perspective, everything you're thinking of has to do with, how can I wear this all day, be comfortable, and make it through the miles, right? Sure. Literally, there are some of us that we get in the saddle after 10 minutes. I was not comfortable. Right. So this, it's also for instructors, for instance, who just get on, who are teaching all day long. They need a safe place for their phone for emergencies because we have a beautiful old, you know, classic welt pocket on the top of the right side that mm-hmm. is, uh, doesn't have any closure to break or anything, and it's fits in snugly so it's not going to flop around. So even for instructors who have to get on a horse and just demonstrate something for 10 minutes and get back off again. Right, and feel comfortable in what you're getting down. Because I know when I have ridden English and you're in your breeches and sometimes you're like, whoosh, should I not? I I don't mind riding these in the saddle, but I definitely don't want to go in public in them. So I think that's a, a great aspect too, something you can be comfortable in, but you can get on and off and still do whatever you need to do. Sure. Yeah, I I was joking in another interview I did that you could be a lawyer with a blazer in an office and then you could go straight to the barn and you wouldn't have to change your pants all day long. And thinking about the rider, not somebody that's coming from the fashion world and how to make those look good at the barn, which they look good. All the jeans can look good, but mm-hmm. how can you find something that's going to keep you comfortable in the saddle, not have that big seam on the inside right where you're trying to have contact and right. communicate with your horse with your leg position. Feel good no matter what you're doing. I spend so much money on equipment for our horse. And so I really feel like this is a, a very valuable piece of equipment for for riders finally. Good. Well, thank you for taking this on and figuring out something that's going to be good for a lot of riders. Thank you, Heidi. Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. Check out SmoothStride.com and find them on Facebook to thank them for making this podcast possible. Also, be sure to visit JulieGoodnight.com slash podcasts for the full library of audio interviews you can listen to in the car or at the barn. 